0: Hey there, you're listening to Ghost Notes and Friends, the podcast where we talk about music inside and out with friends. My name is Noah, but you probably know me better as Polyphonic. I'm Corey. You probably know me as Twelve Tone. And today we're joined by a good
1: friend of mine. Do you want to introduce yourself? I do. Hi, everyone. This is uh, Matt from Extra Credits and Extra History. How are y'all doing? Wait, we're talking strictly about Zelda Tears of the Kingdom on this podcast, right? That's what happened? Oh, don't get me started.
2: Yeah, (laughs) yeah, look, heavy spoilers for Tears
1: of the Kingdom, probably. (laughs) No, thank you so much for having me. I am uh, super excited to talk about a genre that I don't get to talk about much, namely because I don't know much about it. Uh, But I have (laughs) thoughts. That's the important thing on the internet is to have thoughts.
2: I mean, that's the thing is that's 90% of what I do too, is just have thoughts about music. And people think because I tell them my thoughts, I have good thoughts, but...
1: (laughs) (laughs) You do have good thoughts. I remember specifically, uh, Corey, we were trapped in Puerto Rico uh, at a rum distillery, and we were just sharing yeah. a bunch of good thoughts because we couldn't get an Uber for four hours. Yeah, that did
2: happen. <laughs> <laughs> that did at one point happen in my and Matt's life.
0: <laughs> yeah, so before we get into the uh, music talk, do you want to just sort of, to those who don't know what you do, Matt, do you want to just sort of pitch your channel and and also maybe just tell us a little bit about your
1: your own you know, limited relationship with music. Absolutely. Like I said, my name is Matt, pronouns he, him. I am the showrunner narrator of Extra History and the Extra Credits YouTube channels. Uh, basically, we do six to 10 minute videos on all things, either history, mythology, literature, or game design. Uh, which one of those things is not like the other? I'll let you decide that. <laughs> I have a history in um, television production before I jumped onto the YouTube side of things. And so I was a producer over at Viacom and MTV for years uh, before that I was an editor. So it's funny. My musical background is hyper limited. I enjoy music. I feel like most, as most people do. Controversial take. What? <laughs> whoa, whoa,
2: whoa. Let's unpack this. Uh, Yeah, yeah, okay.
1: <laughs> uh, but uh, I've never like been able to glom onto it from like the nerdy side of things perspective, uh, like I have been able to say with cinema or games. The thing that I do love doing is sort of deep diving into stuff that I particularly don't know a lot about. So I'm very, very excited to chat. At at least start the conversation on something music or music related. Oh, ooh, last thing. I flip in love karaoke which is the lowest form of music. Uh but <laughs> uh, but I uh I do karaoke for my birthday every year. I I've thrown rooftop parties using uh, Carathon, uh so yeah. I've done a decent amount of that nonsense. I will say that. I I would not call
0: karaoke the lowest form of music. Karaoke is karaoke is doing, you know, exactly what music is meant to do, which is Ooh. bring people together and you know reaffirm life and bring joy. So I would not yeah. I would not be so quick to uh down talk karaoke unless I was the one singing. Then it's a really, really yeah. horrible experience. <laughs> yeah no I, I
2: will never be caught dead singing karaoke because I have a bachelor's in vocal performance. Ooh. So I like there was a time in my life where I was a pretty dang good singer and then I just stopped practicing and stopped warming up for like half a decade. So like I know how good I could be. Sure. And I don't want to be not that good in front of people, but like, I, yeah, I, like, I think karaoke is a great example of like the participatory nature of what makes music
1: great is, yeah. I'm relieved to hear you both say that. I often say that karaoke, look, you're already getting to me to be really honest. I often say yeah. that karaoke is the lowest form of music because I never want to downgrade the skill and the craft based on people that do, like that actually create music. Yeah, Uh, but you are a thousand percent correct. And I feel exactly the same way, like the emotional resonance and the tie that karaoke can bring to the act of. And I again, performing music, whether that is on key or not, uh, (laughs) is is something that is I've found incredibly magical. And I've made a ton of friends through that, like weird New York circuit. Um, So I don't know. I'm very happy to hear both of you who I would. I'm putting words in your mouth, consider experts on on things musical. <laughs> uh, so to say that, that makes me feel kind of nice. I feel warm yeah. and welcome already. <laughs> I think it is sort of,
0: and maybe this is something to get into a little bit. I guess we haven't introduced our topic proper,
2: <laughs> but one of yeah, the- we, we do like, have one, but we're sidebarring first. Mm,
0: but I do think one of the things that, that both Corey and I always try to stress, and this also might be one of the reasons why you've had trouble getting into the sort of like, nerdy fandom aspects of music is that they tend to be like incredibly elitist and exclusionary. And Corey and I are both not about that at all. And I think karaoke is a really, really inclusionary musical practice um, that, that really genuinely, you know, it's a, it's, it's kind of a rare form of folk music that you don't, you don't really get that sort of thing that much anymore in our society. And yeah, it's a it's a very inclusive, very positive. So, yeah. Yeah. And I I think with a lot of people with music, especially people who aren't sort of music nerds, there's like a big tendency to you know, when in conversation with alleged music nerds to undercut themselves when they go in to talk about music, be like, oh, you know, I don't know this that well, or, oh, karaoke is the lowest form of music or things like that. And, you know, I, I yeah. think that that's something and that... saying
2: those things makes you a bad person. Yes. I think what Noah's trying to say
0: <laughs> Yeah, that. you're booted off the podcast. <laughs> All please right, please. well, it's been great. Thank you so much for the
1: opportunity. Uh, but yeah,
2: yeah I, I think the. the cuz not not to pull out a classic ghost notes trope of saying that something is folk music <laughs> uh, but like i think noah's absolutely right that karaoke can be viewed as pop music filtered through a folk tradition
0: yes is how i would describe it yeah i think that's a better way
2: so it, it is a much more inclusive but i think you know you you do get like some like elitist gatekeeping in sort of music nerd circles i think there's also an extent to which it's not even necessarily active or negative. Mm-hmm. Like you were talking earlier about wanting to like downplay karaoke because uh, you don't want to downplay the the skill and artistry that goes into like really talented musicians. And I think that they, you know, when we talk about people who are just like, that, that person's an incredible singer or whatever, there's yeah. an extent to which that like <laughs> is still drawing that line. Even if, again, I don't think that's a negative thing. Mm. It's still like a way of saying like, oh, well, you're, Maybe you're singing a Beyonce song at karaoke, but you're not Beyonce. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're not, to be clear. Wait, what? (laughs) Beyonce has vocal talents that most people don't. Mm. Another hot take, I'm sure. (laughs) But like, it's a a thing where like even even just that can like incentivize people to downplay like the impact or their own sort of... I don't even necessarily want to say musical talent, but musical expression, because it's a very different thing from talent.
1: I'm just sort of thinking about like where my actual, I know this isn't the top of the show. We're going to keep going for a second, but where my actual love for karaoke kind of came from. And I actually believe it's based in cinema in a weird way. Cause I, on this side note, I also do a a movie podcast called erroneously, the only podcast about movies. There's an asterisk. in. No, I think that's right. And like, I, is it? Oh, nice. All right. Well, we got something good. No, the, uh, but like, what's a, what's a perfect shorthand in a film for a gr- to show a group of friends as quickly as possible having an amazing night out. Yeah,
2: it's, it's like karaoke. Karaoke. yeah, like karaoke. Yeah, yeah, it's it's always karaoke. So
1: like, there's and and it's funny because it's not only just like an amazing night out, but a closeness of a group of characters or people having yeah. that great night. And yeah, I think it's that an is, intimacy. Yeah, there's a, an incredible intimacy to going into either in front of a group of strangers or renting a room uh, between you know four and twenty or whatever, and like actually yeah. going and and performing uh, in whatever way you deem fit uh songs that people are familiar with and that you're not going to do the same (laughs) so i don't know i i think that might be where my even when i was younger before i ever went where i'm like that's that's where people go to have a good time with close friends and feel like they've bonded
0: yeah yeah and well and so i think that that gets us pretty well to uh the topic this week did you want to tell us sort of what you wanted to talk about
1: Oh yeah. So when we were chatting, basically, I was super psyched to come on the podcast, and I was like trying to think of like how I could, <laughs> how I could <laughs> contribute. And I gave you all, uh, I, sort of, I thought of a couple different ideas. One, I was gonna say like maybe we talk about needle drops because again, that's cinema, and I could, I could go into sort of something like that. Two was just letting me gush about Frank Turner for about an hour and a half. I'm not <laughs> sure if we're familiar with his work, but then the one that we kind of landed on because I do feel. For lack of a better term, inadequate when speaking about music is sort of the concept of falling off music. I have found yeah. that in my adult life, I am redacted years old, but trust me when I yeah. say I was around for the original NES. I <laughs> I feel like my music discovery sensors, algorithm, internal whatever, have just fallen. Yeah. In fact, Frank Turner is probably the last artist that I got like into. And that was easily ten years ago. Yes. Yeah. So I, I was curious, actually, y'all's thoughts on like, have you ever? I mean, I know it's part of your, it's like partly your jobs, but also like internally, like, have you ever felt this in your life, or or even better, like, if you yeah. have, how have you like combated, if you want to? So I'm I'm
2: curious, uh, just because they're. I just I have two different interpretations of what you're saying, and I want to double check that I'm answering the correct one. Are you talking about falling off, discovering new music, or just
1: falling off listening to any music? Uh, more so the the prior, a little bit of the latter. Okay. Uh, I've noticed like yeah. I, I have certain like I have playlists that I go back to that I've built, um, yeah. based around things that I do. I actually am working on a, a playlist right now called "Good Mood Against All Odds." <laughs> and I, it's really hard to cultivate because ha- they all have to be songs that, no matter how much of a terrible mood I am in, it can pull me yeah. around and get me like moving and like if it like good walking down the street music, right? Yeah. Um. But other than that, like I feel like any like discovering new music used to be something that I really really enjoyed, and and now it's like if the playlist runs out and the algorithm's like well this song's kind of like that one like maybe i'll find something but like yeah. it's it no longer feels active like the other forms of media in which i engage with so yeah so i yeah. i have like and this is probably not your
2: experience uh but as a trained vocalist and then a YouTube music theorist. I fell into a thing where listening to music became my job mm. at a lot, at a very deep level. And I have to remind myself still that it's also enjoyable. Yeah. And like, yeah. I have to find ways to engage with it that don't turn on my, like, is this content? What is my content about this going to look like? How would I sing this? Those sort of spidey senses. Mm-hmm. And, a, a big part of sort of discovery for me, like what I'll do is I'll just like a lot of what I'll do is I'll just like listen to an album on YouTube mm. and then you know i I may start with an album that I know, an album that I'm comfortable with, and I'll tip it I'll come back to those like that that's not something that I can get away from or or I'm interested in getting away from, yeah, but like when I'm feeling adventurous, I'll sort of do that and then like look down the recommended sidebar mm-hmm. uh, yeah. for something that has like a cool album cover or a cool name that I've like, I've never heard of before and check that out. Or, so, or sometimes like, you know, things that I'm aware of, but have never actually listened to, but feel like I probably should listen to at some point. Right. And I'll go look those up. Uh, I'll also, I don't watch like too many music YouTube channels, uh, but the ones that I do. How watch, dare you? <laughs> well, I, I watch polyphonic, but like, uh, there are no other music YouTube channels that can compare to Polyphonic. Uh, so, <laughs> good save, good, good save. Good save. Yeah, I think that was solid. <laughs> but no. Um, but the ones that I do watch, like Noah, uh, It's Boundo is another one that I watch. Uh, like, But whatever, like people will mention albums and sometimes I'll be like, oh, I should check that out. Mm. Uh, and so trying to see things that other people... Who seem to at least have some overlap with my taste are talking about yeah. has been a useful way. And it, uh, I like I find that like I I am never like looking up album reviews or anything. Sure. That's that's not like the I don't want to get too deep into that because at some point Noah and I are just gonna have to have an entire episode dedicated to that yeah, question. Sure. Uh of like what is the point of music reviews, and it's complicated. And that's we a complicated both have question. opinions on it. <laughs> I have a lot of opinions and Noah as someone who used to write those probably has more, Uh, but like watching people, like seeing what music people who just want to make videos about the music they love want to make videos about Mm -hmm. that gives me an indication that like, Oh, that's something I should check out. And, you know, also just talking to Noah on this podcast, he'll just casually mention albums I've never heard of. Uh, That happens fairly regularly. And then I'll go look those up. But like, I think it has had to become a much more active process for me as I've gotten older, partly again because music has become my job and partly just because I have a job. So much more of my life has to revolve around things that aren't just doing what I want to do. And that's that's not to say I don't want to do my videos. Like, I am extremely fortunate to have the job that I have, it's a great job. And I recognize that. It's wonderful
1: work, but it's still work. It's still a lot of
2: work. Like it takes a lot of time to make one of these videos and it takes a lot of focus on a very specific, especially when I'm doing a song analysis, I'm spending a lot of time looking at and thinking about and listening to one song. Mm -hmm. And so like, I just don't have as much time to go find new albums as I used to. Like I said, there's things that I do to combat it, but it's also just it's a reality of being in my 30s as opposed to being in my teens, is that I just don't have as much time, and that's life.
0: Yeah, yeah. I I think for me, it's uh like a lot of what you're saying is resonating, and like when I was when I was a teenager, I was. You know, I was that person who would, through very, very legal means, you know, download the entire discographies of artists and like (laughs) dive as far as I could into all of these different scenes and stuff like that. Like that was a I was very much that that sort of kid um, through high school and a lot of early university. And, you know, it's interesting because, like, I think it would surprise people who don't know um, yeah. how little new music I look for and how little time I spend kind of looking yeah. for new musics. And it, it's definitely, you know, it's definitely a lot of things Corey said, music has a, a job, changes things. And also in general, sort of a lot of the energy that would go toward discovering new music goes toward discovering stuff about whatever artist I'm doing a video on, you know, yeah. or like, yeah. you know, you know. whenever I'm doing a video on an artist, I'll tend to get, you know, pretty deep into their stuff and listen to their stuff on repeat or, or um, you know, for days at a time or stuff like that. But in general, like, I, I feel like as I've gotten older, I have found it a lot more difficult to get a lot out of a given album or artist or something like that in a small period of time. Like I find I'm much more thoughtful about music and will like when, when I'll I'll definitely listen to new stuff, but often it's even like one song that I will just like kind of fixate on for weeks on end and kind of get to know every inch of this one song. And, you know, I'll listen to other things from whatever artist did that song sometimes and I'll, But, but really often my music listening has, it feels like in terms of seeking out new stuff and whether that's like stuff that's been released now or older stuff that I hadn't heard about before, it's, it's become a very slow, patient process. And I have a lot of friends that are always hunting out new music and always telling me albums to listen to. And, you know, I want to listen to these albums and like, I, I, I'm, I trust the taste of all of my friends, but. It takes so much out of me to actually sit down with an album and listen to it the three or four times that it takes to, you know, properly have and understand my own feelings on it.
1: I was just gonna say it's a strange thing, too. I've noticed for me, like again, it's it's obviously different because it's not tied to my work. I've also found that on the joy to time put in to achieve joy ratio, <laughs> <Yeah>. music <laughs> is one of the fastest ways to ex- for me to experience joy. For a TV show yeah. or a book or a movie or a video game, like, it takes me, I would say, longer than hearing a great song that, like, gets into yeah. my ear and, like, making me feel yeah. something quickly. And I've, I've found that I'm I'm very schedule driven and and sort of like trying to make the most of my time, which probably inevitably makes me make the least of it. But regardless, <laughs> it seems like music would be the thing I gravitate to more because I know I get <laughs> air quotes the fix yeah. quicker than any other medium of art for me. And I I guess inactively don't. It's always te- it's always tied to something. I'll I'll get latched onto um the 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 Tetris film that just came out that Apple released about the story of how Tetris was released. That soundtrack's a banger. And like, I just listened to that soundtrack, which admittedly is a lot of remixes of older songs and Tetris music, but like for whatever reason (laughs) that spoke to me for like two weeks and it was nothing else. And I find a lot of songs that I've either fallen off of or uh, discovered new stuff is based around soundtracks or scores. Um, That's kind of my only entry point left. Do you go to a lot of live shows? Not anymore. Uh, No, No. not anymore. Uh, Did you like pre-COVID?
0: I did in my early 20s. In my early 20s, I went to a lot of shows. Pre-COVID, I'd say I went to probably more than I have post-COVID or post-lockdown in general. Like, again, it's funny. Like, I, I, you know, when an artist I love comes to town, I'll try to go see them. But I used to just go to shows just, you know, local shows whatever um you know you know if there's a local punk bar i'd go and see what was going on there and stuff like that i never do that anymore
2: yeah i definitely this is a thing i've talked about i think on the podcast before but have found that for me at least spending four and a half years in a performance degree at music school sort of got me over <laughs> being able to enjoy live music for its own sake. Yeah. I, I can enjoy live music, but, like, you know, if I go to a restaurant and they like, oh, they have a band playing there, it's like I would always rather they didn't. Yeah. And, like, I don't go to shows just to go to shows. I mean, I never really did that unless it was, like, my friends' shows. I, I did that in college mm-hmm. where, like, someone was playing. It was like, you should come because – the L.A. music scene is a nightmare and they have to sell tickets in order to do the show. Yeah. It's like a pay-to-play is a bad way to run a music scene, mm-hmm. but it's also, there's so many musicians here that, uh, Los Angeles. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I've never really in my life also really enjoyed going to live shows. I've, I've had a great time yeah. at live shows, but I feel like it's always what happens around the show rather than like experiencing the music. I've found that, In order for me to, like, get the emotional resonance of whatever kind that I want from music, it has to be kind of, like, just listened to by me, not surrounded by a bunch of other people. Um, Yeah. And and so I was just curious if – basically, my journey with this is this. Like, why have I fallen off of music – And I'm sort of like fine with it, even though I know like a part of me is like, no, you should be more active. And I'm wondering if I was kind of trying to find like touch points of like, oh, is it maybe from people who just don't enjoy live shows as much? You know, like I'm trying to find the through line. Yeah, I I think that one one of the reasons,
0: one of the things that has changed is it has become easier and easier to choose what music you listen to And that encourages you, you know, if you are the kind of person who really likes sort of like listening to different music and stuff like that, like it's really great. But for your average listener, that really encourages you to sort of stick in your same little couple playlists, couple albums, stuff like that. Whereas, like, I mean, something that's that's really like happened in our lifetimes is, you know, it still exists, but really like radio as a format has completely died out and radio used to be an interesting place where you would go to engage with like radio DJs. You'd actually like, you know, care about and have interest in them. And they'd have, you know, they, they would entertain you and they would, as a result, be curating and also, you know, keeping in touch with what's going on. And, you know, in the age of MTV, like VJs and shows Mm -hmm. like that, like are, were very much about sort of keeping you in touch. And now the only thing kind of operating, doing that function in society is an algorithm. And I do discover (laughs) new music algorithmically, like, like, you know, we've, we've talked lots before about discovery algorithms. There's a lot of good and a lot of bad from them. The experience of discovering something new algorithmically, like for me, most often what happens when the algorithm starts playing is I go, Hey, I didn't cue this song up. I guess (laughs) I'm on the algorithm now. Let me go cue a song that I want to hear up. Whereas, yeah. you know, yeah. in the radio, if you're driving, listening to the radio, you know, a song you don't like comes on or a song, even a song you're like, eh, whatever about comes on. You're like, but you know what? I like this show. I like this yeah. DJ. I'll just ride this out and then get a new song. I think the, the ease of being able to return to your comfort zone, it, it encourages people to stay in that comfort zone if they're not the sort of person that's really inclined to take all of the emotional energy that it takes to go searching for music.
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah. On On that as well, like even if you are listening to the radio today, which I still do, Yeah. like when I'm driving, I still listen to the radio. Uh, my understanding, and I this is not a field that I work in. This is something I, I believe I, I have heard secondhand. So this might be wrong. But my understanding is that DJs these days, radio DJs these days, have a lot less control over what they play. Yes, that's correct. That is much more handed down. So like, you know, if you listen back to like someone like, you know, Alan Freed or whatever, like there's an extent to which, you know, you know him from listening to his work. And so when he plays something, you're like, you're going to be like, okay, well I trust him. Right. But like, if I'm listening to K-Rock and K-Rock, the K-Rock DJ is like, we're going to play this new song from this band you haven't heard of. I don't, have any real like person that i can attach any
1: trust to on that one of you just well, actually you both kind of got to this point the the idea of the dj or even the mtv vj versus the algorithm right like the algorithm yeah. might hit your tastes way better because it's the combined knowledge of the entirety of people using whatever program you are doing based on your inputs, yeah. and therefore you get maybe a more air quotes correct version but the there was something, dare I say, parasocial about... Having yeah. a DJ or a VJ, it felt like, even if it wasn't true, a friend recommending you something. Uh, yes, yeah, and it felt organic. It felt organic, and it's funny. We yeah. We're talking about radio. So I ran in college, uh, again, uh, 2,964 years ago. I was at the radio <laughs> station. I did a show. One of them, actually, was really with the, with this guy, Mark. We just did something called Matt and Mark Destroy Everything. And uh, I was more like Alt and Rock, and he was just hardcore punk. And all we do is play each other tracks like go back and yeah. forth and like try to introduce each other. So we were introducing each other. We were introducing our very small audience to other things. Uh, and then as the radio, it's so funny, there's a microcosm now. Uh, back <laughs> when I was a freshman and sophomore, there was zero control over the radio. Like they, it was like dying. No one cared. Yeah. So we could do anything and we did uh and then eventually (laughs) as i was leaving people started to take notice because it was weird It, it not just my show but like all the shows because people were doing new cool stuff was getting very popular and then two or three years later i had some friends that graduated and started working at the college and it got real like squeaky clean and they dumped a bunch of money into the radio station but then it was really like sort of like controlled yeah and now when i and again this is a this is no no shade whatsoever to my old radio station wxbl 91.3 fitchburg state college radio you've still got that call sign down that's like riding a bike hey (laughs) it's your explosive alternative yeah Yeah. (laughs) but like every time i've ridden by and again i'm maybe it's not the right times or i'm not listening to the late night weird stuff like i used to do uh i'm just not enamored with it anymore yeah and and i it's funny it's not the same by any means but there is an oddity to the taking away of the even if it's less correct the personal way that we are introduced to music i think
2: yeah i mean i think i i would push back on less correct there like i think that a lot of it a lot of what makes a music recommendation work is again that that sort of organicness yeah where like I was doing air quotes, it, by the yeah. way. You just can't see yeah, it because
1: yeah. it's an audio medium.
2: Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. But but like I I think, you know, when when Noah recommends me an album, like I can place that recommendation in the context of who Noah is mm-hmm. and what I know about him, and like what I know about his tastes and how they overlap with mine, and it feels like someone has picked out something and said, This is good. Even if it's not like this is good for you. Like the thing about the algorithm is that when it recommends me an album, it doesn't think that album is good. Yeah. It just thinks that I might like it. Yep, that's a great way to put it. And that's a very subtle distinction, but I think it's a really important one, is that, you know, again, and this is not to get into the question, like, the way I framed that might imply, like, some objective quality metric. Regular listeners will know that that's (laughs) not what I'm doing, Sure, Uh, but I think that, you know, Noah th- saying it's good is just as subjective as me enjoying it. Mm-hmm. But there's partly, the you know, parasocial or directly social in the case of Noah, who is an actual yeah. friend of mine, mm-hmm. I, I hope. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong.
0: But, um, we'll, uh, I'll correct you when that is no longer true. It's true for now. Yeah, no, just just send me an email.
2: <laughs> Friendship ended with 12 uh, Noah recommending it to me tells me more than just a quality judgment. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas the algorithm recommending it doesn't even give me that. It's just, you might like this.
0: Yeah, something that I find too is that generally, you know, either with sort of the more kind of like, uh, yeah, the more like parasocial, like, you know, the VJ, or even like, I do think, like I have had people, and I'm sure you've had this uh, too, Corey, where I've had people yeah. like kind of I do a video on an album and they're like, oh, now I'm going to listen to to it because they have that sort of trust for us. But I think I and I think the other thing that kind of that this has, and especially with friends, is it context, right? Like like algorithms give you absolutely no context. But when you're listening to a radio, you know, when, when you're listening to a DJ and they say, you know, here's a new song from this cool artist coming out of Montreal. You know, they've kind of got this sort of sound. It primes you as to how to hear it. And I'm a big, big believer. And I mean, literally, I've dedicated my life to providing context to music. I, I, I'm i a big <laughs> believer that context helps you appreciate. It can deepen appreciation, but it can also just straight up like, like make you appreciate it in the first place. And when you're yeah. not getting that from an algorithm, it's just the sound with nowhere to place it. But then, yeah, when you watch a video or even, you know, when you're you're talking to a buddy and you're, you know, you're, you're a fan of one band, and your buddy's like, oh, well, you know, if you like Zeppelin, you should check out Free. They're this underrated 70s band that was doing a lot of similar stuff at the same time that that's suddenly a very different recommendation than if you're playing if you're playing zeppelin and free comes onto the algorithm it's context and its intent
1: yes Yes. like like intent is really important to me too because the the algorithm is doing the thing it means to do it's going to tell you something that it believes however it figured it out that you're gonna like and that's nice intent but it's not thinking about your emotional headspace or yeah. where you've been outside of what you've listened to. Whereas a person, where, whereas either the close mm-hmm. version of that, I like friends being like, Oh, I just heard this. I thought you might like it. That has a whole bunch of intent along with its context or the flip side, sort of even the, in the parasocial relationship, be it VJs, DJs, uh, YouTubers, whatever. There's still, you understand why the person is telling you the thing. Yes. And that's, like, really kind of important and special when you're integrating something into your leisure time, in a way.
2: Yeah, I think, like, just to to really drive a point home there, like, you're talking about how the algorithm doesn't think about how you're feeling. It doesn't think about, like, your emotional state or whatever. The algorithm doesn't think. Yeah, yeah. I think there is a lot of value in engaging with music in a contextless way. Like, I think you can get a lot out of that. Mm -hmm. Like, I think... I've had this happen where, like, an album will come up on YouTube and be like, that is a cool name. I know nothing about it. I'm just going to click this and see what happens. Mm-hmm. Like, that's how I found the album Sacrament of Sin by Powerwolf, which if anyone likes power metal, uh, check it out. It's very good. All right. Huge fan. Great band name, too. <laughs> I know. An I, incredible band I name. I feel like
1: I've heard Powerwolf before. I just, oh, man, there yeah. are, holy... Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah.
2: Okay. Yeah. No, it, it sounds like that art looks. Okay.
1: Um, cool. Cool, 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 cool.
2: But yeah, that was just one that, like, that's a, like an album that was released, like, I think in like 2022, and it just happened to show up on my recommended, and I was like, sure, I'll check this out, you know, and I had no idea what to expect beyond what I would expect from that name, and like, I've had some really interesting musical experiences going into things without context.
0: Yeah, I think something to like kind of to bring back to why we're talking about this in the first place, it's that that context and, you know, if you're not super, you know, if you don't have a ton of energy if you're you know busy yeah. stuff like that that context can sometimes be the little push that you need yeah to yeah. get that you know you know to explore yeah. new music like I, th- I think that's the big thing is yeah like Corey was saying yeah. like there's a lot of value to finding things without context um but i do think often that the yeah yeah finding the l- l- like creating the creating the context for it is yeah. it it makes it easier and it's one of the reasons why I think a lot of people as they you know in the modern age have had trouble kind of finding finding their way into new music.
2: I, I was just gonna say that this sort of brings me back to a thing I sort of wanted to mention earlier, which is a creator that I follow, uh Delani Harris, if anyone wants to look her up, uh, talked about in a video of hers uh the idea of an album in residence. Oh. which I think is a really interesting idea. where are just like sort of taking what we're talking about of just like listening to the same album over and over, but turning that into an intentional process and turning that into a more sort of actively trying to listen to all of the nuances and catch yeah. all of the things, which, you know, you do. And this is the thing that I sort of felt myself doing subconsciously and passively anyway. Like I went through a period where I would just like, Anytime I wanted to listen to music, there was like a 50-50 chance that I was gonna listen to Indestructible by Disturbed.
1: Like <laughs>
2: nice. Not not every time, but like pretty consistently. If I was like, I should put on an album, I would just like go to YouTube, type in Indestructible, disturbed, full album, uh, and listen to that. Because like that was just was really resonating with me at the time. And so it became and you know, as you do that more and more, you get a deeper and deeper appreciation of all, a lot of the nuances you catch, especially with a band like Disturbed or Metal in general, a lot of the lyrics you're not going to catch the first time through. Yeah. That's just the reality of Metal. Uh, and so you, you start to get a deeper understanding of the story. You start to notice all the little background things that they're doing. And so in that sense, I think it's not even necessarily a bad thing to fall off of new music discovery. Because you can discover just as much in music that yes. you already know and love.
1: Yeah, that brings me to uh, something to something interesting too that I I I found that as well. Specifically with the idea of an album in in residence, I really like that. Um, yeah. So, but I've found that uh, I like every person who is an ancient lich of a human being uh, <laughs> has gotten into actual vinyl. I buy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I buy vinyl. I have a record player. And because there's an act of like, rather than turning on my phone and, you know, just typing in something or hitting a playlist that I like, the act of physically like, I have to do this thing to listen to the music. Like, you you do whatever. I have on my, I have yeah. records on my wall and whatever one I am listening to the most, it stays in my record player and uh yeah. it's on the wall in the front. So it's almost like a now playing kind of thing. I've done that. Yeah, no. Like, yeah. most recently, I was doing it with the Fifth Element soundtrack, but like the, a band, like as far as a band is concerned, I think the last one I did was Gunship, are either of you familiar? with gunship no they're like Uh, a synth wave i don't even know what i had to call it that i don't know but they're like really real it's almost it's it's like almost like dystopian cyberpunk music but like with a real good beat their concept art and their videos are really smart but like yeah yeah, i i I, and then what i do in that situation is i've listened to that album a thousand times but because i physically had to do something to make the music happen more than hit a button or type a thing i pay attention uh, yeah. It has, again, It weirdly, oh God, am I circling this all back? It comes back to intent, just my own intent in what I am doing yeah. with the music that I'm listening to.
0: Yeah, I find, I find yeah. vinyl to be a very mindful experience. Yeah. I, I mean, I think that's another thing too, again, with the, like, making things sort of easier to listen to. Uh, another thing is, or, or, you know, back in the day, like vinyl record shops are another place where you get that Mm. context of people showing new music. And, you know, often, you know, if you've got a good record store and you buy a record, you know, as you're checking out, the person might be like, Oh, if you like this, you should check this out. Right. And that's another place where you get that. And that whole process. And also, I mean, the other thing that's great in record stores is uh, like, I'm a big believer in both in, creating music, but also in sort of listening to and consuming art. Limitations can really, really help you thrive. And the limitation of the record store is sometimes going to the record store, looking for an album you love and being like, damn, they don't have this album that I love, but they've got another album from that artist. I've never listened to this album, but I like the artist. I might as well check out this album. And when you, Corey and I have talked about this before with sort of physical media, when you buy something, there's more, you you owe it more to yourself to listen to it than when you just see it on streaming. If you just see something on streaming and listen to five seconds and it doesn't grab you immediately, you're like, whatever. But when you buy a record, you unwrap it, you put it on, you'll take time with it and you'll sit with it. And even if you don't like it the first listen, It'll be in your collection and you'll kind of see it there and be like, oh, may- you know, maybe I'll give that another shot someday. And then and then that will help sort of deepen that that uh, that growth of taste and experience.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And I think you hit on another really important thing there in terms of music discovery. And this is the thing I've been trying to do recently as well is specifically I'll, I'll, I'll use a specific example because I have one. I am very attached to the Good Apollo duology. Duology is not the right word, but the duo, the two two albums by Coheed and Cambria. Mm-hmm. Uh, Good Apollo volumes one and two. Yeah. And I'd heard that those were like around, they had come out around when I was in high school. Uh, don't look up when those came out or you'll find out how old I am. But um, <laughs> those were... That's, I've, I've said how old I am on this podcast before.
0: It's fine. Well, Matt's apparently uh, in the thousands, so you're doing yeah, all right. Yeah, which is driving me crazy because I don't think he's that much older than I me. am ancient <laughs> like, and I am the land.
1: You <laughs> cannot handle the amount of time I've been on this earth. <laughs> I feel like you're maybe a couple years older than me. M. I notes, am but eternal?
2: Like, <laughs> but anyway... Uh, <laughs> And, like, I'd heard some of the stuff from their earlier albums, but, like, those were the two that I really latched onto, Mm -hmm. especially Volume 2, No World for Tomorrow. I listened to that one so much. Uh, And then I sort of fell off of them. I didn't really keep up with them. And that's been a thing I decided to do recently was just listen to the entire discography of Coheed and Cambria. Mm -hmm. And, like, I'm not discovering a new artist. I know Coheed and Cambria, but I'm still... It's sort of... I guess a more vertical discovery as opposed to the horizontal discovery of finding new artists you like you're taking one and just drilling down. And I I did have to think about which one would be
0: horizontal and vertical in that analogy. I think I got it right. (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, I think that's something I really, really love about jazz as a music is because there's so many live albums because so many, even studio albums were just sort of recorded live in studio. So many of of these artists have such a depth and breadth of catalog that you can really, really just sink your teeth in and get really into the nitty gritty and learn, you know, this is what this artist was doing. You know, in the mid '60s, and that's drastically different than what he was doing in the early '60s or late '60s. And th- there's a lot of that. It comes with
2: its own baked-in context too. Because yes. Like, you find a new Coltrane album you've never heard of. You you go into that knowing who John Coltrane is yes, already, and exactly. you know, and you can yeah. sort of see what that sounds like. But
0: one of the other big joys with that too is often in j- with jazz. Part of the fun is seeing like who plays on different albums. And it's like, yeah. Oh, you know, like I I'm used to, I, I love John Coltrane with McCoy Tyner on piano, you know, but here's John Coltrane uh, with playing with, you know, red Garland or something like that. There's a sort of mixing yeah. and matching. So yeah, I think that that's, I think a lot of the, for me, a lot of my music kind of taste as, as I've grown older has shifted from, trying to find as many bands as I like and trying to listen to absolutely as much as I could of those bands to a more sort of like focused, like, okay, you know, like, like lately I, I went through a bit of a, uh, a bit of a Duke Ellington kick and that Ooh. Duke Ellington kick was listening to sort of like a handful of recordings from one era and just really, really, yeah, just really getting into them, yeah. um, and I think that that's, I think that's something that's that's changed a lot. And and something I also wanted to kind of, I wanted to bring up with this is, I, I think very tied to this is the difficulty in keeping up with modern music, yeah. and I, I think, yeah, I think one of the reasons for that difficulty is so there's this great thing that's happened with streaming and with modern music, which is the complete like destruction of genre boundaries and of, you know, people now basically listen to everything. But when you listen to everything, it's way, way harder to know where to start when you're looking for new stuff. There's Mm -hmm. so much choice paralysis out there. Whereas, you know, like in the nineties, like if you really liked grunge, you could look at, Oh, these are the bands in Seattle. It's like, oh, I love Nirvana. Well, you know, Mudhoney and Tad are in the same scene doing the same thing. Like like there's, it is something that was made easier by the prevalence of genre. And again, I, I think it's great yeah. that genres are disappearing, but it, it makes it way, way harder, especially, you know, if you are, you know, an adult with a job and kids and stuff like that, it's a lot harder to, throw yourself into these scenes. And whereas once you might've just been, it might've just been, oh, I follow the alt rock scenes and this is going on. Now it's like, you know, there's, there's so many, you follow alt rock. Oh, like, well, that itself, which used to be sort of an alternative subgenre is now a massive genre with thousands of artists releasing celebrated yeah. albums every week. And it's like, like that's where I always struggle with keeping up with modern music is just like, there's so much of it and it's so easy to access all of it. It's not just yeah. you go to the store and see what new records are in. It's, you know, like... And there are, like, discover new playlists and stuff like that, but those have never really, really resonated with me. I don't... Yeah, I, that's, yeah again, algorithm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And, it, and it's it's really difficult to, to kind of go in. It's the music equivalent of, like, you know, deciding you want to watch a movie... Uh, for the night, opening up Netflix and scrolling through for two hours, not deciding a movie
1: and then being like, well, that's good. We'll call it a night. Yeah, we've all been there. Going back to the genres melting away. I, I do really like that conceptually, because, again, I've always listened to sort of a multitude of, yeah. of genres. But at the same yeah. time, exactly what you're saying, when everything has four to five prefixes to it. Like, at this point, like, genre doesn't, like, mean as much as it is. Or I'm having a hard time keeping up with what it all means. Like, I don't know what emo soul core is. Like, what, what, like, I made that up, but, like. It
2: also exists, is the thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: So, like, and again, no shade to that or any specific mashing of genres and still trying to group things. I think groups can be important in discovery. uh, But it does, uh, so there's, like, pros and cons to it melting away uh, that I feel like I've experienced.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, speaking of things where it's a great thing that they're going away, but also make keeping up with new music harder, record labels. Yeah. This is a a whole big thing where, like, it used to be very hard to get your music to a lot of people. Mm -hmm. And so you had, this is a lot of, like, one of the reasons I think, like, Beatlemania couldn't really happen today is you had such limited options as to like relative to today, like in terms of popular mainstream media, like there there were plenty of you know, local bands doing plenty of things. I don't want to say like the Beatles was the only band in Britain or anything, but like there weren't that many bands with the full force of like an international record label behind them sort of pushing like and getting all of their music to everyone and... Like these days, there's just so many people who have that partly because, you know, labels will sign who like not sign whoever, but like it's a much more complicated industry these days.
1: Yeah, you're absolutely right. The way that like, that was not only were the Beatles an incredibly talented band, but they also yeah. had the entirety or or the largest parts of a very s- small, respectively, industry pushing it the entire yeah. time. And there wasn't a lot of options. So of course, the good stuff that the big thing yeah. is pushing, that's going to be the thing that like cements itself. Now that'd be impossible. Yeah, It's like,
2: yeah, if you go back to like the, I'm going to say the 60s, the 60s might not be the right decade for this, but I'm just going to say if you go back to the 60s so I can move the conversation along, there were like three television stations. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, limited radio stations too. Your your favorite television program was something that could get airtime on one of three television stations. And that was pretty much it. And so, you know, you you just these days it's there's like you're saying with Netflix there's so many options That, like, there are so many shows that I have been wanting to check out for years, and I just don't because I'm watching other things and I'm doing other things with my life. And, like, I just, it's so much harder to keep up with everything. And there's, you have more access to everything and thus feel like you should and can keep up with everything, but you can't. And sh-
1: probably shouldn't. Yeah. Yes, that actually that brings me to my sort of like last point around this is the 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 entirety the the air quotes Netflix of it all. Like, yeah. because there is so much. And we have access to literally all of it. There is, as one of you sort of said, an analysis paralysis of like where to go or what to do. And that's what's actually turned, I think, my discoverability of music to be very passive in a sense of like, oh, if it's on a soundtrack I like or actually a weird way I have found it is sort of the memification of songs. Uh, like, like either, you know, TikTok or that whole thing, but like also a couple different ways. There's a song, I think it's by Tyga called Bugatti. It's like a club song, right? I found that through Grand Theft Auto 5. And now it's like on my playlist and I'm like, okay, cool. Uh, like then there's like more like comedy driven stuff. Like, I don't know. I'm just trying to think of like something off the top of my head. But like back in the day, like either Ninja Sex Party or like just stuff that's like legitimate parody, but like still kind of a banger. Like I found that stuff like Lonely Island, Lonely Island. Yep. And then there's or like and then it gets into the weird stuff. Like I found again, sort of uh, Poppy back in the day. The That whole. Do you remember Poppy at all? No. Poppy was this YouTube thing that was I don't know how dark it got, but like it was this weird sort of like girl acting like an AI that like did a bunch of weird videos, but then she like became a legit like singer songwriter and her stuff is like weirdly good, but like, I don't know. It's, it's odd. There's that whole aspect of it, like turning YouTube content into a music or music career. And then there's the songs that, like, at first I'm like, I love this because it's so bad. And then I realize, no, I don't. Yeah. It brings me so much joy. And I, and I, I will say this in the year of uh, Someone's Lord 2023 when Fast X just came out. Feel Like I Do by Vin Diesel. Have you heard Vin Diesel's song? No, I have not. Uh... You will listen to it. I feel it. like I might have, but I don't remember. You'll listen to it. And you'll be like, this song's stupid. Ha <laughs> ha Look, at silly Vin Diesel. And then you're going to want to listen to it again. It's weird. It's It's so yeah. odd. So I find, my point is, my only, my only bastion of discoverability is through other context. Like, yeah it, it through the other media I consume because I don't have even time for any of that media, I find I don't have enough time to like dig through like what I would actually like like it gets served up to me in like odd, odd ways well, ironic yeah. appreciation of anything is the first step towards
0: sincere appreciation of it like yeah, I like yeah, that I like it, that.
2: It's also often a mask for having sincerely appreciated yeah. <laughs> it the whole time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I look back to, like, you know, my my high school where we were all sort of, like, ironically into Disturbia by Rihanna. That song was always a banger. Yeah. Like, there was we just, you know, we're, we're rock kids and didn't want to say we liked this yeah. pop. Yeah, 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 no, all of that stuff is just, you know, it's a way of saying I like this song without getting made fun of for it. Right. It kind of ties into what you were saying about karaoke. I was just right? gonna bring it back.
1: I was it was yeah. my safety net that you two yeah. just shredded about calling karaoke. <laughs> but no, you you it was accurate. I do think on on all of this, like I
0: think there are all of these external factors, but I also do want to talk a little bit about like just straight up age. And how that changes (laughs) things. Because first of all, I mean, when you're a teenager, you have more, you're still developing brain matter. You have more neuroplasticity and it does take like, like a lot of mental effort to engage with music that you're not familiar with. Mm. But then also at the same time, I think for me, a big thing is when you're a teenager, you just, you just haven't heard so much of this stuff And it sounds so novel and exciting. And, you know, as you get older, you just hear more stuff. And that doesn't mean this stuff isn't good. It's just often it's like, okay, yeah, Rather than, you know, listening to Led Zeppelin and being like, oh my God, what the hell is this? You listen to another blues rock band and you're like, oh yeah, no, this is sort of a Zeppelin-y blues rock thing, but, you know, maybe (laughs) they've got a bit of an Iron Maiden kick to them or something, right? Like like when you're young, you have nothing to sort of frame and compare these things to. So everything sounds so exciting and incredible and cool. And, you know, every now and then, you know, I'll find something that like, like for me, one of the, one of the last artists, you know, like, or really like genres that really sort of like blew my mind wide open as an adult a couple of years ago was getting into Afrobeat and Fela mm. And that was something yeah. where it's like, oh my God, I didn't know music could do this. But yeah. that feeling of, oh my God, I didn't know music could do this in high school. I got that feeling every week. Oh yeah. Yeah. And there's, there's like, that's,
2: experience, but it's also biological. Like I don't want to get too deep into the science here because I'm not an expert, but the sideways video on Coco has a good explanation for how like the dopamine stuff works in regards to this. Mm. But like there are just like actual biological and neurological processes going on that make you form specific attachments to music in your early teens that last for your entire life. Yeah. And that's just a thing that happens
1: regardless of social or cultural context. I think that happens too throughout art, like all art. Like the the thing I kept going back to when you were talking about getting that feeling of new when you're young because it is new to you is there's tons of cinema like that. You, You show nine times out of 10, you show 2001 A Space Odyssey to to a, a younger person who's had a lot of experience with current day media and they find, or film, sci-fi in particular, and they find it boring as hell because yep. they're so used to yeah. what that movie is doing even though that movie was the first to do it. Not to them, it's not. So same like, with the Beatles. Yeah, same, yeah. yep, exactly.
2: Yeah, so the, people. Are just, yeah, the Beatles are just like, they're playing generic pop in the first half of their career and it's like, that was not what generic pop sounded yeah, like. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: So there yeah. there is that too, I think, that does actually hurt as our bones become more and more dust like. Yeah, very dusty bones at this point. With super dusty bones, the dustiest. That's our band name, <laughs> by the way, is Dusty Bones. Dusty Bones. Um, that's a great band name. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think that's a really good point. There's a lot of reasons, it seems, as as we've talked about this for about an hour, like that that this it feels natural, but there is this is the thing I, I think I kind of want to end my questioning or my point on is it also makes me sad. Uh, yeah. I, but I think, honestly, it goes back to our last point. I think as we do get older, the newity, uh, TM, uh, the, yeah. the newness of a thing, or, or of, of art novelty. in general. Novelty. Novelty. I like newity, because it's not real. <laughs> yeah,
2: n- newity. I think, is uh, more gibberish. Yeah, yeah. So I like Ooh, it. Ooh, yeah, <laughs> yeah.
1: Um, but regardless, like, the novelty of it, it, it novelty gets harder yeah. and harder to achieve. And and therefore searchability honestly becomes more difficult in that sense of getting really excited about something. And that's okay. Like I can be sad about it and still be like, that's okay. Because, you know, actually what you guys made me feel, or what you both made me feel really comfortable about was the idea of going back to things that you enjoy and like. Not hunkering down, but like actively try, like, okay, you're not finding new music. Find new things about the music that you love. Yeah. That seems really powerful.
0: I think it's interesting, too, because something that I've found with, yeah, I, I, I agree that there's something lost, but there's a lot gained. And something that I've found really interesting, too, is, you know, there's also a lot of music that I loved that I just like, it just doesn't resonate and doesn't do it for me anymore. Yep. But then there's acts. Like, for me, yeah. like, for me, one of my favorite artists, um, or I honestly, like, two of my favorite artists in high school were Pink Floyd and Bob Dylan. Mm-hmm. And both of those, I have come to appreciate absolutely everything. You know, my favorite albums and my favorite songs are probably the exact same as they were then. It's just, <laughs> but but how they are my favorite is completely different. Why they are my favorite is completely different. And there's something like really, really satisfying and really rewarding about, you know, you know, being able to being able to listen to like a rolling stone and be like, you know, I have, I have been listening to this song for 15 years. Like, like, you know, very regularly, this song is like so intrinsically tied to who I am and yet I listen to it again and hear something new in it and I think mm-hmm. that that's the joy that yeah. that often gets it, yeah it it sort of gets forgotten when we talk about how we're not listening to new music it's not like we're it's not like we've stopped listening to music entirely yeah
2: yeah I think cuz we we were talking a lot about like the importance of context and a lot of that is, you know, cultural context, historical, social context, but it's also personal context. Like, you're talking about Like a Rolling Stone. I think about Song for
0: Adam, which I know pe- regular yep. listeners are
2: tired of hearing <laughs> me mention.
0: It's okay. They can never get enough of me mentioning Like a Rolling Stone. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah, well, they got to hip them to these fresh new artists like Bob Dylan. <laughs> In a very literal sense, I grew up with that song, and that song... It's been the same song that whole time, but I have been a different person Yeah, yeah. when I was listening to it. And this is a thing that ties into a thing I've talked about on the podcast before about, like, art as experience and the actual art being created in the interface between you and the supposed art object, uh, which is a whole technical thing that I don't need to unpack all of right now. But, like, I think looking back, like... A lot of it is that, like I say, it's been the same song the whole time, but it hasn't. Yeah, Yeah. the the context changes. Yeah, it's been the same sound waves. Yeah, yeah. But that doesn't make it the same song. What makes it a song is me listening to it. And I have listened to it very differently over the, God, like 25 years or so that I've been listening to that song. Yeah. And it takes me to different places and it takes me back to places that I have been when I first heard it as well.
1: I think that the artist for me that's honestly been on that journey the longest in my life is Alice Cooper. Oh, yeah. Fair, I feel yeah. like Alice Cooper I got into because Alice Cooper was in Wayne's World. Again, discovered it yeah. from a movie. <laughs> and then I just destroyed Alice Cooper just all the time Alice Cooper. I was also quite uh, goth in, in, in middle and high school. Sure. And then uh, I've listened to it on and off, but then in different points of my life it meant something different. Most recently, I actually went with my dad to an Alice Cooper concert That's last rad. year, yeah, um, and I got to, first and foremost. The dude's like seventy-four. Uh, he surrounds Shunk. himself with some of the best metal guitarists and 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 instrument and just uh, musicians on the yeah. planet. Uh, but his show and his energy, solid from what I've seen before and watched and whatever. His wife still yeah. comes out and decapitates him. Like the man puts on a show. That's great. <laughs> Um, yeah, but like now in that context, not only, uh, has it sort of that going to that show with my dad reinvigorated sort of what I think of Alice Cooper, but when I listen to it, having that context of being with my father and like being in that space exactly. and now looking at it again, changes the way I listen to it. Yeah. And so while it's never left my rotation, uh, it now is almost like a completely different listening experience. So, yeah.
0: Yeah, Yeah. I mean, something that I did, you've mentioned it a couple times, but something that I really want to be clear on and kind of, again, put you on blast for is there is nothing wrong with finding songs from movies, because it's something that I feel like a lot of people have insecurities about finding songs from movies or games or something like that. But those songs are chosen by people whose entire job it is is to have good music taste and to pick good songs to put in their movies. Like, I think that's something that it's something I've, I've heard from not just you, but from a lot of people, but like, honestly, like I think in a lot of ways, when we talk about the sort of like the disappearance of your DJ VJ record store guy, music directors in shows are also that only it's not sort of, it's not a relationship you're having with, them as a person but with the show they're working on which sort of you know curates a certain vibe and stuff like that but like you know I know I know people that got into um, Nick Cave because he had a song in Harry Potter or also because mm. he had a song in Peaky Blinders and you know <laughs> Nick Cave is a brilliant talented artist like I, I, I think it's I think people are quick to sort of discount the fact that like uh tv shows movies video games like it's a very careful and thoughtful selection to put specific songs in
1: and to make them work in specific ways unless you're the new super mario brothers movie that was some of the worst needle drops i've ever heard in my entire (laughs) life (laughs) that person should be ashamed of themselves uh that was brutal uh, the, I have seen it brilliant. but I
0: assume I assume that that's it's got the feeling of something that could be done by an algorithm
1: if the algorithm misfired. I I, <laughs> I kid you not. It is it is upsetting how poor the needle drop <laughs> and I will forgive a needle drop. I am See, a sucker
0: for a needle drop. I got to uh, say I I had no interest in seeing that movie but now you've in, you've instilled a morbid
1: curiosity yeah, I'm in me.
0: Curious. I
1: want you I'm not going to spoil it when they go to go to donkey kong jungle sure
0: i think is, it, is I, it welcome to the jungle
1: no because you know what that'd be trite but it would make sense <laughs> uh i'm not gonna spoil it there's right. no there's yeah. no there is it's, no uh, it's, uh, reason
2: walking on the sun by smash mouth no i wish <laughs>
1: I wish at least that
2: I
0: could have Shrek flashbacks. Is every needle drop "Walking on the Sun" by Smash Mouth?
1: <laughs> Somebody, yeah. Yeah, no. Uh, anyway, yeah, well, that's, that's all star. I know, but I—that's the one that I always think of.
0: Uh, yeah,
1: no, I, I just wanted to be clear. I was going
2: for a, a deeper Smash. Man yes, a <laughs> deep,
0: a deep Smash. That's not "Walking well, the, on the Sun" is not deep, a deep cut. Corey.
2: Deeper than All Star. Okay, deeper than All Star. <laughs> Very slightly uh, <laughs> is what I said.
0: <laughs> <laughs> wow.
2: It's the other Smash Mouth song, okay, not the Smash yeah. Mouth song. The solution
1: is just listen to Smash Mouth. I think it's what we're coming to
2: here for yeah, discovering. trying to discover new music, check out Walking on the Sun by Smash Mouth. <laughs> uh,
1: wow, we took a turn. I apologize. Yeah. I did that. <laughs> well,
0: I mean, I think it, that... It was a team effort. Yeah. I think that that's, you know... Smash Mouth is always a good signifier that it's time to end a conversation. Yeah. Um, was Was there anything else on this that you wanted to get in or any thoughts that have sort of like emerged in this conversation that you want to underline? I mean, just to
1: reiterate, I, I really... So uh, the thing that actually weirdly... S- stuck me stuck with me the most is uh, getting to talk to two people who, uh, I, and I'm sorry to, to blow smoke or whatever, I would consider <laughs> experts in music, whether or not you put that to your label or not. Um, <laughs> and as someone uh, who is not uh, as familiar with the art form as I would say either of you two are, I did come in here with a like, oh, and I didn't do it consciously, but I, I, I can sort of identify through our conversation, like I did come in here with a bit of self-deprecation, even you know, just talking through, like, oh, like karaoke is the lowest form, or like I find yeah. my ways through this, which is whatever. And the the sheer, uh, I, I forget sometimes that, uh, especially I feel like when I'm coming from the gaming space, um, <laughs> that which is something I'm actually very well versed on. But even so, it doesn't matter, like. There's there's a real love and appreciation beyond that sort of um, having to know having to know everything about the thing. And that in a way, uh, I know it's not really our topic that we were talking about, but I think it was it was what fueled that sort of discovery. I think I want to like kind of go into not only discussions about music, but maybe even discussions uh, about literature or sort of other things that I I would not consider myself an expert in and be sort of less uh, self-protecting and deprecating in my discussion about it because I don't think it does discussion of the art form any good. All it does is entrench sort of a gatekeepiness to it. I mean, don't yes. go in and act like you yeah. know everything, but like- it, No, no,
0: yeah, but- but, but I like think it's also, a very common yeah. defense mechanism because people, you know, you, it, you're afraid of putting yourself out there with art because art is such a personal thing. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, because of that fear, you sort of hold back and, you know, try to, yeah, humble yourself and do the we are not worthy, <laughs> we are
1: not worthy. We're scum.
2: <laughs> for me, this this is why I get so into that art as experience thing mm-hmm. is that I think that framework is the best one I have found for making the case that whatever your feelings Like, you may not be able to describe where those feelings came from in the same way that I can or the same way that Noah can, but that doesn't make them wrong. Right. Right? Like, you listen to a song, and it makes you feel sad, or it makes you feel happy, or it makes you feel something much more complex. Like, it makes you remember a specific moment in high school or whatever. And the fact that, like, you can't necessarily say, oh, that was a tritone substitution of a secondary dominant that made that (laughs) happen— and I can, and be wrong most of the time, but I can say (laughs) those words, I know those words in that order, Uh, like doesn't make that association less valid or less valuable or less insightful. It doesn't make it, it's not that I have a deeper insight because I know the words, it's that I have learned the words through practicing having insights. Right, right. But you can still, your insights are still your experience and that's what art is. And that's, I think, a thing that gets, I'm sorry, this is a thing that I have very strong feelings yeah, no, about. Yeah, no, yeah. It's, uh, it's is like you, you the sort of scientification of art discourse. Mm. And this this way of being like, there are, co- not necessarily like explicitly like there are correct facts. But like, you know, if I'm going to start talking about chemistry and I'm just going to start making up random element numbers and just be like no titanium's element 5 now um that's wrong and anyone who knows chemistry will tell me that I'm wrong and they'll be right because they are more of an expert than I am but that's just
1: not how art works yeah you can't you can't tell someone how yeah? How they are being emotional? I mean, you can you can have theories yep. on wh- how someone is being emotionally affected by something, but at the end of the day, their yep. emotional affectedness is kind of a personal experience. Uh, yeah,
2: and this ties into sort of to tie it into gaming, which is an area that I am definitely at least as much of an expert on as anyone else in this call. But uh, <laughs> no, um, but like you you build your. I've game, played a game. You have once. all your ideas about. I've played a game. Uh, but like you build your game, you have all of these ideas about how the level's going to flow, what how the mechanics are going to interact, what's going to happen. And then you play test. Because what actually matters is the person playing its experience, yep. not your idea of what it should be. Yeah. And so ultimately the arbiter of whether or not it's a good game are the people playing it, not the genuine unambiguous significantly more game design expert people who are making the game.
1: Yeah, I mean, good game design is iteration based on what your goals are. And it's funny that uh, going back to the beginning of this podcast, that's why Tears of the Kingdom is so successful. Tears of the Kingdom was technically done almost a year ago. And they wanted to refine the the physics engine so that literally anyone could do all of the fun nonsense things that everyone is doing with the fusibility in that game. Like they they decided that is important to the core of what we want people to experience. And we are going to fine tune that and delay it forever to make it a better game that now will resonate with more people. So, yeah, Yeah. I just think that it's a neat it's a neat sort of uh, analogy. there. Yeah. Yeah, no, definitely coming full circle to the
2: Tears of the Kingdom reference uh, that we threw out as a joke at the beginning. My, so. my
1: favorite part about Tears of the Kingdom is the Smash Mouth needle drop. Yeah, uh, I'm absolutely. Not, I don't want to spoil where that is. Um, yeah.
2: <laughs> it's when Link starts walking on the sun. Oh, yeah. you ruined it.
1: <laughs> oh, man. Oh, No, well. but it's
2: not the Smash Mouth song you're thinking. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <that's> right. <laughs>
1: <laughs> what's a deep cut smash mouth song what's I, the deepest cut we know
0: the deepest i know is their cover of i'm a believer by the monkeys because that's oh, also yeah. in shrek
1: it is also yeah, they, in shrek uh oh they also yeah, do a okay, cover so. of can't get enough of you baby <laughs> by the way mr smash
0: mouth if you're listening to this we respect your music and please come on our podcast
2: yeah, no. C- come on our podcast to talk about Smash Mouth. I would genuinely that love would be, it. i that would, would love be
1: listening to that.
0: Actually, amazing. Like genuinely, on There's the off chance, anytime we mention a musician, I need to throw it out there on the off chance they're listening.
1: Yeah, because we're not—we're not like this is the weird thing. Everyone, everyone gives Smash Mouth trash. Like, like I believe the yeah. lead singer is uh, Steve Har- uh, Steve Harwell. Harwell I yeah. believe. Uh, yeah. I thought it was like, Mr. Smash Mouth. Like, Mr. Smash Mouth. No, but like. The, what Smash Mouth has become is probably never what they thought they would, but talk about proliferation of your art. Like, talk oh, yeah, about yeah. putting it, and, and, and there's value to that in and of itself. It's just, it It also kind of becomes a meme at a certain point and whatever. And like
0: what Corey was saying earlier about ironic appreciation yeah. is a mask for real appreciation. Yep. All Star's a great There song. we go. Yep. That's official 12-tone if there's dance. one thing to take away from this episode. I agree. Yeah.
2: Yep. Yep. Yeah, if you're if you're struggling with new music discovery,
1: consider yeah. looking up All Star by Smash Mouth. Oh, I'll bring it back to karaoke. Uh, I believe it is if you put on Imagine in karaoke yeah. and you just sing All Star slower, it completely <laughs> matches up. And you will blow away a karaoke room because you put that on in a karaoke room and then everybody just sort of like, Uh, Like, I was like, oh, God, the eyes roll and like whatever. And then you start doing that. And by the end, everyone in the damn room is just singing along. I think I want to give credit to I think Patrick Willems or one of his friends actually turned me on to that trick. Uh, It is magical. That sounds like the sort of thing. If you want to take a karaoke room on a roller coaster ride of emotions, put on Imagine and then start singing (laughs) All Star.
0: That sounds amazing incredible <laughs>
1: <laughs> the bad news is you have to know all the words to all-star other than oh, the court
0: already already know yeah that. but that's yeah but don't you <laughs> yeah i feel like we do i am of the age yeah. that that is p- permanently seared into my brain yeah
2: somebody once asked could i spare some, some change, change for, for gas? gas i need to get myself away from this place and i, I said, said yes yep, what, what a concept, a concept. I, I could, could use, use a little, little fuel, fuel myself, myself. We could, and, and we, we could, could all use a little change. a
0: little change.
2: Not
1: an answer to the question he was asked, but anyway. But, but a real sort of esoteric roundabout way of getting back to a chorus.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right. Speaking of esoteric roundabout ways,
1: where can people find you? You can find me uh, with all that glitters being gold uh, over (laughs) on the YouTube channel Extra History and the YouTube channel Extra Credits for our works over there. Um, Please go check that stuff out. Uh, We're doing, we just wrapped up a series on Napoleon in Egypt, which is a series in history that I didn't know a lot about, but wow, what a cluster that (laughs) was. And then uh, we're talking a lot about, actually, uh, which might tie into this conversation. We just did an episode on the price of change in video games over on the credit side of things. Uh, We're basically like, you ever hear that old? Uh, it's 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 uh, apocryphal. It's kind of fake, but it, the point is true. That story about the yeah. qwerty keyboard like the layout oh, of keys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: was to, to stop you from typing too fast.
1: It'd stop you from typing yeah. too fast because it would jam up typewriters. That's No one knows if that's really true or not. I don't think it is. But regardless, there are more efficient ways to type. We just don't learn it because the cultural uh, cost of that change is too great to get everyone on board with, even yeah. though at the end of the day, it would make things more productive. Game design can be like that a lot. It's why people stay with old engines. It's why, you know, it, it's stuff like that. So it's just a fascinating deep yeah. dive into there. Uh, and the last thing I'll say is, please check out, if you like uh, movies, uh, please check out uh, both on Nebula and other RSS feeds. Uh, the only podcast about movies with me and Shahir Dowd. Uh, we're, I believe, uh, I don't know when this is coming out, but the one we're recording in two days is on Fast X, and I have a lot to say about family. Uh, but Ooh, we actually yeah. do. We actually do uh, not just blockbusters as well. We just did A uh, Thousand and One, which is a wonderful. Uh, sad, sad uh, New York movie uh, that should be remembered come Oscar time. Sorry, that was a lot, gentlemen. I'm, I'm sorry about that. No, no, that, no that, worries. That's the point of plugs is for you yeah. to plug. Yeah. yeah. yeah.
0: Um, as always, don't watch Corey's and my stuff. It's
1: not <laughs> as good.
0: <laughs> watch I've it. I've
2: seen a lot of it. So trust me when I say <laughs> it's
1: not worth your time. It is worth your time. I watch it. <laughs> I actually, Doug, it's funny. The one thing we didn't get into was the the concept album stuff. I was listening to the last episode of the podcast. uh, I want to talk about Danger Days, but there's no time.
0: (laughs) Well, I guess you'll have to just come back someday. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on. And to all of you out there, thank you so much for listening. Awkward exit time. Bye.
1: Thanks. Thanks. Thank you.